Good evening. Thank you for being here. We will continue uh, tonight with our reading from Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. But tonight we're also going to venture into Krishna into the Bhakti Sandarbha. In fact, the bulk of the class tonight will probably be on an anacheda from that Sandarbha, uh, but it it's it's such a significant uh, point that's being made in the Anacheda we're, we're, we're studying now that Jiva's Goswami's discussion of it in the Bhakti Sandarbha is, uh, needs to be looked at uh, because it's, it's a key to our understanding of the nature of, of the ingress of Bhakti into our lives. And we're only going to look at one Anucheta from the Bhakti Sandarbha, but in the Bhakti Sandarbha, the topic that's going to be discussed is covers. Uh, my gosh, what is it? Uh, uh, the Bhakti Sandarbha is 179th through the 215th Anucheta is on this one sub- subject, and we're only going to look at one of them. So, let's take off where we left off in our last discussion. In our last discussion, um, Jiva Goswami, in this part of the Krishna Sandarbha, has, um, f- is fortifying the Parivas Sutra. He's fortifying the Parivas Sutra, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, uh, by showing that all the major narrations in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is our primary praman, it's where we find the the real essence that fuels our understanding of the nature of the Supreme Lord and his various energies. So Srimad Bhagavatam is where we take our shelter. Now, Jiva Goswami has, has taken us to the point of, of showing that of the major narrations, the four verses that were spoken to Brahma by Krishna himself at the beginning of creation, those also were centered directly on on Krishna. And they were spoken by Krishna himself, not any other manifestation of the Supreme Lord. So the original Bhagavan Sri Krishna spoke the, the, the four what we call the Chatur Sloki, or the four main verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam, from which we see the whole 18,000 other verses coming. In other words, if you were to understand the essence of the four seed verses, the Chatur Sloki, um, the essence of what is our understanding of the nature of the Supreme Lord is in that those four verses. But for us to comprehensively assimilate the knowledge that's in that four verses, they've been unpacked by Srila Vyasadeva, who is Krishna himself, into 18,000 verses, 
wherein a whole narration is provided for us to assimilate that knowledge. And then, not only do we have the Srimad Bhagavatam, but then we have uh, Sanatan Goswami, which is, again, a foundation, one of the foundational acharyas of our Sampradaya, taking the whole of the essence of the, taking the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the text of the Bhagavatam, and milking from that text a nectar, Bhagavatamrita, an Amrita, a nectar of the Bhagavad itself in his Brihat Bhagavatamrita. So there we have the essence of the essence, so to speak, uh, in his his composition, Brihat Bhagavatamrita, which is uh, uh, quite wonderful in and of itself, in that it looks at the different, the Lord's different kinds of devotees, in the and the great humility of all of them, and it gradually introduces us to what we can see from Sanatan's viewpoint, as presented in the Bhagavatamrita, deeper and deeper appreciations for the Lord, the, all the. Lord's devotees love him, but Sanatan shows to us how that love is thickened and, and becomes more and more uh, profound in different levels of devotees. And then in the second canto of his Brihat Bhagavatamrita, he goes on to show us how that love manifests in an environment it's nurtured and then it manifests differently in in environments that nurture those loving relationships based on the 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 thickness of that love but we're not going to go there right tonight <laughs> We will. We, this narration goes on eternally. There will never be a time when we'll come to a to the end of this discussion of Harikatha. In this life, in the next life, and even in the perfection, if we are to be so so fortunate as to be invited into the Leela ourselves, the Harikatha continues there perpetually. So yes, this is our this has now become our life. Our, our our whole life revolves around hearing narrations of Krishna. Sometimes we get to play along, and sometimes we have to wait wait in separation and simply repeat the narrations to each other to keep us going in our separation. So there's always going to be the hearing of Harikatha. Sometimes there will be some participation, and sometimes. They'll not, but even in the not, well, the great sages, those that have actually experienced the separation to the nth degree, tell us that the relishing of the Leela in the separation is more relishable than the meeting and involvement in the direct Leela. 
beyond our comprehension at this stage, but it's given to us in that way, <laughs> that understanding. So now Jiva Goswami has made a small detour, and in this small detour he is going back to the very beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam. He's went over the Chatur Sloki. Now he's taking a little bit of a, a detour back and saying, and even the initial inquiries by the sages who wanted to hear the narration, it, we can find in those six questions from which the whole narrative of the Bhagavatam seeks to answer these six questions going through from the first through the twelfth canto, all of these questions are answered comprehensively. So Jeeva's saying, and if we look at these six questions and what what they involve, remember the six questions at the very beginning of the Bhagavatam, Sukadeva is not on the scene. So the questions were posed by the sages of Namasaranya to Sutta Goswami and the spokesman for the sages uh, who presented the questions to Sutta Goswami um, was Sunaka. So these six questions are now being analyzed in the Krishna Sandarbha by Srila Jiva Goswami so, and he's bringing out that we can find even in these questions the underlying current of a desire to hear about Lord Sri Krishna, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, Sri Krishna. So the 67th Anucheta, we began, we left off there in our last discussion. Uh, the Anucheta is based on the following verse spoken by Sunaka to Sutta. O Sutta, the sages who are established in the state of unwavering mental fixity, Sama, have taken complete refuge of his lotus feet. Haven't, having taken complete refuge, that's their position. They're situated at the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord. Their consciousness is, is unwaveringly fixed on the Lord's lotus feet. And their, their level of complete spiritual immersion and purity leads to a very interesting result. So Sunaka points out that result in his question to Sutta. These sages who are fixed at Krishna's feet, they have a characteristic. Immediately upon their association, they purify anyone simply by contact. So that's their position simply by contact with this, a sage of such a caliber who has complete fixity on the lotus feet of the Lord, one is immediately purified. 
immediately, instantaneously. Tonight we're going to go into the Bhakti Sandarbha to understand all the nuances, a beginning understanding of the nuances. Because as I said, we're only going to look at the very first Anucheta that deals with this subject of the purifying power of association with Krishna's pure devotees. There are another large group of Anuchetas in the Bhakti Sandharva that delve into this a lot more deeply. So this is like it's a we're we're in the Krishna Sandharva, but we're going to take a little preview, a little detour. We're going to get a preview of the Bhakti Sandharva on this one subject. Because it it I felt it would be fun to do. <laughs> because in the in Jiva Goswami's commentary on this verse from the Bhagavatam in the Anucheda that we're reading, he points us to that Anucheda that we're going to go to and says, and it's fully explained here. So I felt, well, if he's pointing us there, he might be saying, maybe you should go there and look at it to fully understand the depth of what's being said here. So that's why we're going there. It's kind of like we've been given some, some direction. Look there, you'll get a better understanding of what I'm saying here is what it comes out in this Anucheta. So we left off in, in the verse. It, it says, immediately purify anyone simply by being contacted. And then the verse goes on to say, whereas the water of the celestial river purifies only through repeated use. Here, the celestial river is referring to the Ganges. So, just by having contact with the sage, you're immediately purified of all sinful activity. Just by contact. Whereas, having contact with the foot water the bath water of the feet of the Lord purifies after some time. The point's being made. They both purify, but of the two purifying agents, the Ganges and association with a sage of the highest caliber, the sage, sage's quality of purification is more immediate. So Jiva continues, we'll leave, we'll, we're going to read now from the Anacheta proper where we left off at the last class. Jiva writes here, Although the water of the Ganga is itself of such qualitative being, and although it emanates directly from the feet of Bhagavan Vamadadev, it purifies in this way only through repeated use, meaning only by direct and repeated repeated attendance and not by attendance in the form of mere proximity. you got to bathe in it. You can't stand by the Ganges 
and get the be- the the complete benefit. So you can't just be walking along the Ganges, is what Jeeva is saying. But a sage can walk by you and immediately purify you of all sin. A profound statement. So the reason we're going to go to the Bhakti Sandharva is to is to understand some of the complexities of that because it is an extremely profound statement. Just like the statement that one utterance of the holy name, even in a boss, even not knowing what you're saying, even when you're thinking of something else, immediately purifies you of all sin. Well, that has to be qualified. Why doesn't the whole world just fly off you know, when George Harrison came out with My Sweet Lord, we should have seen people just flying into the sky. You know, because they're freed of their sinful activities. They don't no longer need a material body. They can just depart. We didn't see that. Well, maybe some people saw that. And maybe some living entities did, did leave their bodies immediately upon hearing the song. Maybe, but maybe we weren't perceptive enough to see that. So these things need to be qualified, and Jiva qualifies them in such a way that we can enter deeply. And we entered a little deeply into Nam Tattva earlier when we looked more deeply at Vishwanath's commentary on the verse regarding immediate removal of sin from the sixth canto where Ajamil's Leela is discussed. So here we're going to do the same thing because these are profound, provocative statements regarding the efficacy of bhakti. It's like, what have we got ourselves into? And why is this not happening to me? So we need to know that. Why, why aren't we experiencing it? If, it's, if it has such efficacy, what's wrong with me? What did I do? Am I doing something wrong? Or what's the reason? So understanding that reason will help us. But don't be concerned. This will, you'll, you'll get there. And there's a reason why you're not getting there instantaneously. Well, it could be time. Well, anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself, which I always do. Uh so you have to, just by standing by the Ganga, it's, you need to re- actually worship her or put her on your, on your head is what this is saying. But the sage, just if he walks by, he can purify you of all sin. You know, so there's a distinction being made here. Even direct service to the Ganga does not purify one immediately. In this way, by specifying the superiority of those who have actually taken shelter of Sri Krishna, even over the Ganga, Krishna's superiority is automatically implied. In the same vein, Krishna's fame is also described as surpassing that of the Ganga. And then he quotes from the prayers of the personified Vedas, which is the 90th chapter of the 10th canto. O King, the sacred pilgrimage site, Tirtha, of Krishna's fame that has appeared among the Yadus, has diminished the glory of the Ganga, the celestial river that washes his feet. 
So the point's being made here that when Krishna comes and enacts his Leela and appears in the Adu dynasty, that that, that the, the power of that is phenomenal, is basically what's being said here in the verse from the prayers personified of the Vedas. And then he quotes, he, he finishes this Anucheda, as he often does, with a quote from Sridhar Swami. And again, we're taken back to how deeply significant Sridhar Swami's Bhagavat commentary is in our Sampradaya. It's in the... That commentary forms a lot of the basis of the theology that is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It was relished by Sri Chaitanya personally, and we can see that it is referred to repeatedly by Jiva Goswami uh, in his Sandarbhas. So, Swami Pad also comments, Prior to Krishna's appearance, the celestial river Ganga was the preeminent pilgrimage site, Tirtha. But now that the Tirtha, in the form of Krishna's fame, has appeared among the Yadus, it has diminished the glory of the Ganga water that washes his feet. There's a little commentary here, uh, but I, I wanted to share a, a couple little things in the commentary uh, uh, with you uh, that we may not have brought out in our discourse. Uh, a couple of, of the comments here I thought you'd find interesting because they relate to different understandings of the source of the Ganges, the, the Ganges, the Ganga. Uh, so we're, we're kind of, we have this, we've been given the narration of what? That Vamana's third foot pierced the shell of the universe and the water came in, washed his foot and came down to the, well, to the Swarga planets, the, he the heavenly planets to begin with. And then in the Bhagavatam, there's a narration that, uh, you know, Bhagiroth, King Bhagiroth requested that it come down to earth. Uh, so that's one. There's also, um, it's also said that, I don't know, is there a source here for the other, the other way that it's looked at, and I do not see that there is a s source for this part of the narrative, is that uh, Vamana's uh, foot went up all the way to Satyaloka, and when Brahma saw his foot, he immediately washed it with, and and you know bathed that foot and saved that water um, in his water pot. Uh, and then dispersed it down to the heavenly planets. And there's a third narration that, that I wanted to share, which I think you'll find quite uh, nice. 
Sri Jiva has cited, this isn't from the commentary, Sri Jiva has cited a verse of unknown origin. So in the, un, in the Anucheta, um, Sachin Das points out that there is a verse there that Jiva cited regarding the liquid form of Krishna that you, we can't, I wasn't able to trace this out anywhere. And believe me, these guys are, are you know, they know where all these verses come from. So, Jiva has cited a verse of unknown origin in this Anucheta, which states that the water of the Ganga is the liquid form of Bhagavan. There is a story that once Sri Narda went to see Bhagavan Narayan. While there, he began performing kirtan, accompanied by his famed stringed instrument, the Veena. Narda kept his eyes closed in deep internal absorption when he was singing kirtan. After a considerable time, he stopped singing and opened his eyes. To his surprise, he found that Narayan had disappeared, and all that Narada saw was a puddle of water. Bhagavan's body had melted out of love. That water became the Ganges. That's a verse. The verse is of unknown known origin. And then there's a narration that backs up the verse that has come down through the oral tradition. Yeah. But the verse itself that's quoted by Jiva. Okay, that was in there. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah I All right. So the principal, principal verse of this Anucheta stresses the importance of Sadhu Sangha. As we will see in Bhakti Sandarbha Anucheta 179, Sadhu Sangha is the prime cause of the attainment of Bhakti. Well, that's where we're going to explore that. So we're going to jump to the Bhakti Sandarbha's 179th Anucheta. It's an extreme, it's, it's, there's a lot here in this Anucheta. I don't know how much we'll get through. Uh, but I want I want us to 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 get this mood and this understanding of how significant Sadhu Sangha is. And that it is in Jiva's estimation the only the only opportunity for anyone to enter into association with the Lord. Independent of this, independent of, of Sadhu Sangha, there is no other road, no other opportunity. So, Jiva Goswami, I'm going to read a little from the uh, Anucheda. As I said, it's extremely long. I won't go into all of it until we get to the Bhakti Sandarbha in another 200 classes because this is the 179th Anucheda there and we still have uh, quite a few Anuchetas to cover in the Krishna Sandarbha. So um, we'll be back here in about a year maybe. You know, Well, that would mean we have a class every day. So you need to come every day and we should start discussing every night. <coughs> 
who knows how long I'll be around. But anyway, be that as it may. In the previous section, Jiva says here, it was discussed that bhakti is only viable, is the only viable means of bringing one's attention to the focus on the absolute and more specifically on Bhagavan. This centering of awareness on the Supreme, which is in the form of unadulterated direct devotion, is supremely rare by its very nature, both as the means of attaining the Supreme and as the rarest fruit to be attained. So the question is, how can one attain this direct awareness in the form of bhakti known as akinchana? In order to explain this, King Muchakunda hints at the cause leading a person to turn his or her focus toward the absolute in even the slightest degree. Muchakunda. Muchakunda is just a little background. I'm sure you all have some acquaintance. But if not, just to remind ourselves and to remind myself, Muchakunda was was a great fighter. He was employed by the demigods and uh, he did their bidding in war and, and you know, repeatedly. He, they utilized him to, to keep the demons from taking over universal affairs and from taking over, you know, uh, taking, taking their positions. And, you know, the demigods protect so there's always some conflict between the demons and the demigods, but Yukunda being a good fighter, they employed him in their service. So after he he worked on their behalf, they they offered to um, reward him. And they said, We'd like to give you some benediction. Uh, what benediction would you like? Now he'd been around the demigods a little bit and the Specifically, he'd been around Indra, so he had some idea of of the fact that Indra was was never quite. He was always feeling that thing that his position was in jeopardy, and therefore he was always on the defensive. And to be defensive of his position, he was always engaging in warfare with the demons. Well, he was tired of it. Muchakunda had fought time and again on their behalf. So he was tired physically and he was tired of being called upon again and again. But he knew, so he thought, well, what benediction can I request that will satisfy both of these, both of these things that, they, that will allow me to rest and have a complete rest because I'm tired of, I mean, I'm tired of battle, I'm tired of fighting and I'm physically worn out. And also keep Indra from asking me again to engage in another battle on behalf of the demigods. So he requested the benediction of, I want to go to sleep. I want to rest. I don't want to be disturbed. And if any person, the first person to disturb me, I want the benediction that I can burn them. Immediately kill them just by the just by looking at them. 
they're incinerated. <laughs> well, they've already offered the benediction, so it's not like they could, you know, take it back. So they, yeah, he was provided that benediction. Now Indra can't wake him up. Now he's a happy guy. So he went off to a cave and he went to take rest and then all of a sudden time and time and time goes around and Krishna's Leela comes along and Muchakunda was a great devotee of, of Lord Krishna and Krishna never forgets his devotee so he, he wanted to see his devotee and he also was being uh, chased at that time by Who was it? The guy, Jarasandra. No, Jarasandra. It was the other demon. Because both of those demons came to the outskirts of Dwarka at the same time. Right. So Kalyavana, Krishna ran off and Kalyavana had such a desire to engage in battle with him that he chased him and Krishna stayed just one step ahead. Almost, you know, it's, it's explained, almost got him. Almost, but still, Krishna was just one and took him right into this mountain cave and there was a big tumult in the cage and Muchakunda woke up and burnt Kalyavana. And then, to his amazement, Muchakunda saw his Lord, Krishna. So this verse that's going to be quoted here by Jiva Goswami is one of the verses of praise for Krishna that Muchakunda said uh, when he woke up to the, you know, to have the, the darshan of the Lord. And the story goes on. He couldn't couldn't participate in the leela at that time, but he was, you know, so he had to go off. He was he was still a very, it just didn't fit in. It, it, you know, Krishna advented at the end of Dwarpa Yuga, right at the beginning of Kali Yuga, you know, right at the end of Dwarpa Yuga, and already the people were like little pygmies to a person like Muchakunda, which is this huge, you know, the bodies have changed significantly. So he, if he tried to participate in Krishna's Leela, you know, now, at this time, he would have been really out of place, you know. So... Uh, Krishna encouraged him to, to wait some time. So he, he didn't give up his body. He ran off to the Himalayas. May still be there for all, <laughs> all we know. Uh, so this is the verse that he uh, said uh, and Jiva Goswami quoted. O Bhagavan Achuta, the living being wanders in the cycle of birth and death. When the time for his release from this cycle approaches, he obtains the association of a devotee. From the moment he obtains such association, a devotional inclination is awakened towards you, who are the supreme goal of attainment for the saintly and the orchestrator of both cause and effect i.e. Bhagavan arranges for the association of devotees as the cause of giving up material existence 
and in doing so allows for its effect that the living being gives up all attachments that bind him to material existence. Jiva Goswami, being the scholar that he is, unpacks this for us because there's some unique linguistics in this verse. So, Jiva Goswami explains those. When the cycle of material existence for a wandering Jiva, this is Jiva Goswami himself writing here, approaches its end, and when the time for liberation from material existence has come, he obtains the association of a saint. In reality, Jiva says here, it is the reverse of this that should have been stated here. Muchakunda stated it one way, Jiva saying, well, actually it needed it should have been stated that the other way. And then Jiva explains. And he, he quotes, this is the way it should have been said. It should have read like this. When he obtains the association of a saint, only then does his material existence come to an end. Then Jiva goes on. The intention behind saying it in the opposite way is to emphasize the necessity of the association of a saint as the cause of ending material existence and the swiftness with which it brings about such a result. He explains it further. Therefore, according to the aestheticians, those that appreciate aesthetic rapture or the deepest of love, or those acquainted with the principles governing refinement of literary style, this statement is an example of the fourth variety of the rhetorical device known as hyperbolical expression, ati sa yokti. Its definition is as follows, this form of literary uh, hyperbolic expression. So it's the fourth variety. The fourth type of atisayokti is that in which the effect is stated as if it were the cause, just to show how quickly the actual cause is in bringing about its result. What Muchakunda say? He said that when the Lord desires our liberation, then through the agency of his saint, he grants it. But really, it should, Jiva saying, no, hold on. He, this is simply, simply uh, hyperbole because factually it is the saint that opens the doorway to our liberation. Let's take one more little dive into some of this deep philosophy that Jiva is presenting here in regards to the nature of the Lord's sadhus, 
secured unalloyed devotees and their association. So that's one thing. Understand that sometimes there are statements in Scripture that really need to be unpacked by those acharyas that have the deepest of understandings. And Jiva Goswami has, in his Sandarvas, given us a pretty comprehensive preview of that kind of, un, of understanding, just as he's done here by looking at this one statement by Muchakunda, which we could misunderstand if we take it literally. So not every statement should be taken literally. It needs to be taken in the context of the deepest of theoretical understandings as presented by the great Acharyas. Same thing is there in, throughout Vishwanath's commentary on the, on the Srimad Bhagavatam. He'll take a verse and he'll just he'll turn it inside out and say, actually, it has to be understood in this way. And Jiva is very, very, very forceful. It can only be understood this way. If you take it any other way, you're missing the point as a Gaudiya Vaishnav. And as, as we've said repeatedly, because Jiva's said it repeatedly, uh, we have a very unique position as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, a very unique approach to, to Vaishnavism. It's extraordinarily unique. Uh, we don't fit in with the crowd. Lord Chaitanya has, has is, 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 his, his dispensation to human society is extremely profound. I mean, to give the, the most intimate entrance into the Lord's Leela to those that have the absolute least qualification is extraordinary. But that's our position, and we're very thankful for it. We have to pinch ourselves. Sometimes we think that, you know, we're being pinched <laughs> worse than other people because we're here in Kali Yuga and our lifetime's short. And yeah, no, you're, you're, you can look at it in an entirely different way, which would be more appropriate, you know. The pinching is actually, you're being pinched, you know, in a very, very amazing way because you're being given this unique opportunity. Jiva Goswami continues by quoting another verse from the Bhagavatam because he wants to make another point. And we'll end with this point but there's a lot more points that I want to take us into. So we're going to continue this discussion a little bit more before we go back to the Krishna Sandarbha. Bhagavan Krishna spoke to Nalakuvar and Manigriva in a similar manner about the effect of association with saints. Quote, Simply by seeing the saints who, took, who look upon everything with equanimity and moreover have fully dedicated themselves to me, there is no bondage for human beings. Just as there is no obstruction of darkness for the eyes when it is 
when in the presence of the Son. So in our next discussion, we'll go into this a little bit because what we have here is we have Nala Kuvara and Mani Griva. There's a, so much theology contained in this Leela. First of all, they're, 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 they're demigods. They're from, they live in the heavenly planets. They're, their families are the demigods. And their association with the Saint Narda was unique. What was their association? They offended him. They got such a high, such a high, extraordinary reward from offending the saint. All the other demigods weren't naked before Narda with young women, <laughs> but Nalakuvar and Manigriva were. But they got the reward of bhakti from Narda by participation directly in the Lord's Leela. Their love grew. They were standing regal amongst all the trees in Vraj, observing all the Leela and all the loving exchanges. So day in and day out, their love and appreciation for the Lord and his devotees grew and grew and grew up to the point where they actually were liberated. So, well, why did they get a benefit greater than those others, other demigods, who also know about the Supreme Lord? Why did they get a higher benefit of pure bhakti? Is one question that Jiva is going to explore. And um, and then, well, there's a lot. There's four parts to that. And I'm going to go to those four parts, and then we will, that will give you something to uh, uh, think on uh, before the next discussion. So let's talk about the association of the saints. And all these we're going to explore in depth. Although Muchakunda says that the association of a devotee acts immediately, it does not affect everybody in the same way. This then implies the following four possibilities. And this is what I want you to think about because we're going to explore these entirely. If the person is without any offense and does not disrespect devotees, then the mere presence of a devotee inspires bhakti into his heart. This will happen even if the person and the devotee are not paying any attention to each other. By mere proximity. Two, if the person is without offense but considers the devotee to be just an ordinary human being, then merely coming into his presence will not inspire bhakti. Such a person will need to receive the conscious grace of the devotee. 
In other words, the devotee will have to look on them and despite the fact that they're not recognized as a devotee, you know, if they're just looked at as just a regular, you know, Joe on the street, you, you know, it's not, the mere proximity won't work. But the first one was totally ignorant. Right. The second one is you don't see them, you, you, you're, you consciously don't think that they're anything special. Right, you don't. The first one, you just don't pay attention. The second one, you pay attention, but you don't think there's there's. They're just an ordinary, every anybody else. So, in that case, the devotee has to look favorably upon you. Third, if the person has committed offense but still respects devotees, then only the association of the devotee would then only the association of the devotee would not inspire bhakti. Just the association would not inspire bhakti. But one would also need the special grace of the devotee to get it. So you haven't committed a fact, an offense, but you respect devotees. I'm sorry, has committed offense. You have committed offense. Then Jeeva's also going to explain, well, in detail... When did the offense happen and how can we recognize? Well, we can recognize by the result, but I want to get ahead of myself. I want you to think about all these things. And the fourth one, if the person has committed offenses and also considers devotees to be ordinary people, then also mere association will not inspire bhakti. Such a person will need the extraordinary grace of a devotee. I'll stop there for this evening. I thank you very much for your association.